Hello and welcome to Plotris. This is Meg. This is Lane. And today we're talking about The Hellion and the Hero by Emily Sullivan. And this was the third book in the League of Scoundrels series. Uh, full disclosure, we did receive a complimentary copy for our review as this is a brand new book that was just published. That's right. And you may remember we have reviewed the first two in the series. Um, this is a series that we've been just really enjoying. So, yep. Yeah. I just have to say, like, Emily Sullivan is killing it. I really enjoyed this one. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved the different settings. Mm-hmm. And uh, shockingly, I don't just mean the creative places that they had sex. <laughs> Not just there, yeah. Um, So we're also top tier. And I think, you know, this whole series has been about spies. Yeah. Um, Pretty much. They've all, a lot of the dudes have known each other through their spy past. So, (laughs) spy past. Um, And obviously that's something that fundamentally we both really enjoy, but I've, I've, enjoyed her take on it here there's been like a lot more ptsd but not in a way that brings down the fun yes uh yes i yes i totally agree with you i've got like a whole section of my notes about it <laughs> like it's just it, she just does a really good job with it especially for the contemporary reader um so one note before we do dive into the jacket i haven't read the jacket i don't know what it spoils uh, but i think meg and i both agree you cannot start here yeah, I mean, I would probably read it, but then be like, oh, this is good. I should read these other books, too. I was, like, even having only read the last one a couple of months ago, maybe closer to a year ago now, like, I was like, oh, no, I need to understand this plot point and had to go back and flip through. So, like, mm-hmm. even more strongly than I usually do, I do not recommend beginning here. And just in case there are spoilers in the jacket, if any of what we just said sounds interesting to you, you might want to go start at the beginning of this series in our recaps and see if uh, that sounds appealing to you because this may spoil stuff. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Ready? They chose duty over love, but fate's handing them a second chance. Lady Georgiana Arlington has always done what's best for her family, even when it meant marrying a man she didn't love to save her father. Her husband's death has left her stronger and bolder. A hellion, some would even say. When a mysterious enemy jeopardizes her livelihood and reputation, there's only one person she can trust to help her uncover the threat. The same man she left heartbroken years ago. Captain Henry Harris is no longer the penniless fortune hunter he was when they first met. Now a decorated naval hero, he could have his choice of women, but no other woman has Georgie's allure, nor the tenacity he can't help but admire. Assisting Lady Arlington will put both his body and his heart in danger. And yet, he can't resist a second chance with the one woman he's never been able to forget. I like this jacket, but there's one thing I just really wish they'd tweak. Mm-hmm. Like, Georgiana's sentiment is that he broke her heart years ago. And, and his sentiment is that... Is that she broke his. Like, I right. wish that little bit of they both are still very hurt Mm -hmm. present in the jacket because I think that's a very necessary plot point that might impact some people's interest in the book 
I mean, yes, you say that. That's very interesting because for me, it would probably make me want to read the book less. But I trust Emily Sullivan enough that I was I'm able to go with it, you know? Oh, so it's not something I have much of a feeling on. I like it as a trope in the hands of talented authors. And I am sort of annoyed, by the way, it's executed often by authors I like less. Yeah. Um, or who are doing it less deftly. And given that I think that can be said of books, I like ones who execute things well more. I yeah. don't feel like this trope is particularly stand out to me. Yeah, it's it's not one of my favorites. It, it, yeah, I don't know. It, it's it's not quite as annoying as Marriage in Crisis. That's my like least favorite trope <laughs> for some reason. But um, Second Chance, I'm like, Meh. okay. That said, I can handle it more in historicals than I can in contemporaries. This is why I just read historicals. It's a good point. Solve the problem. <laughs> Alrighty, so as usual, we generated a random number and then wrote our own summaries using that number as a work count. And this week, that random number is four. Um, so mine is smite the interfering relatives. Mm-hmm. I mean, if that had only been done, I mean, this book would not exist because Henry and Georgiana would have been married years ago. <laughs> Yeah, but they got to smite the people who interfered in the past, and then yes. the family that tries to meddle in the present, and then the family who tries to ruin their life in the present. So it's great that they kind of got to stick it to everybody. Yay. What was yours? So my four words are, want someone? Take me. Um, that is pretty much how their first sexual encounter begins. And <laughs> I may have favorite. notes, except that encounter was so good. It's my favorite, one of my favorite tropes, actually. So good. It and was it was so good. <laughs> it's really good here. It was so good. I love that trope when, you know, she's like, oh, I just want, I just need to get it out, or I need a one night stand, or blah, blah, blah. And then the guy's like, well, I'm right here. If you want, if you want someone, why not me? Yep. And that happens um, exactly as Meg just described it in this text. So if you enjoy that, this executes it flawlessly. Flawless. Flawless. Uh, All righty. So as, yeah, I think as Meg said, big number one for both of them is second chance romance. Mm -hmm. um, in the interim, he's become a decorated, decorated war hero, as the jacket says, yes. a spy who's come to doubt the value of his work. Yes. And she's become a widow from a husband she loathed. Yep. And the way she's become a hellion now, the, the book jacket skims over, but that's fine, is by starting a business, well, by taking over a business and advocating for the rights of her workers. Yeah. I think those are both very stock characters. Yes, yes. Um, okay, so I have a very specific trope that mm -hmm. I don't even know if it's a trope or if it's just sometimes it happens in books and I love it. And it's when the guy gets a boner and he has to, like, hide it. Specifically when she walks into his room, his office, and he's at his desk. And he's like, I can't stand up to say hello. I think that counts as a trope. I love it. <laughs> and this is how this book opens. So, amazing. Yeah. She, um, another interesting trope for me was their past. So, mm -hmm. this wasn't 
full-on flashbacks in the sense that it wasn't like alternating chapters, but you do get occasional paragraphs where right. like they are so lost in the memories that the tense sort of shifts a little. And their initial meeting was the two of them fleeing to a balcony to catch their breath at one of their first balls. Mm-hmm. It was very cute. And the way their relationship fell apart, this is like a minor spoiler. I don't know. I think it's, there's a lot of major spoilers in here with like crown stuff and how they, what they have to do to, uh, the the setup is that she's, um, because of her activism, being threatened. Right. And it's, he's her, uh, is hired by her brother to protect her and like whatever. So I don't want to spoil any of that stuff, but some of the stuff about their past that's really obvious that you only find out like 40% in, I don't think I'm going to be able to keep myself from saying. Mm -hmm. Um, So just to begin with, she goes to, after she gets engaged, Mm -hmm. she goes to say, F it, let's run away together and overhears him saying things that she hated, like that made her feel like, oh, never mind, I was wrong about him all along. But mm-hmm. he was only saying those things because somebody had already told him that she'd gone behind his back and gotten engaged to someone else. Mm-hmm. So there was this big misunderstanding in the past. Mm-hmm. I think that is tropetacular. It is. It really is. And in the hands of a different author, I would have absolutely hated it. My one criticism about the book is related to that, but I'll save it for later. Okay. This is a bodyguard romance. He has been hired to protect her and be her protection officer. And it's also and, a vacation yeah. romance by virtue of where they what they have to do to protect her. Yes. Yes. There's a lot of forced proximity because of, you know, the bodyguard stuff. Correct. Alrighty, so whatever, let's just talk about this book more. We probably haven't gotten all the tropes. Um, Full disclosure to our listeners, I got back from vacation in the wee hours of this morning, and Meg is leaving for vacation in like an hour and a half, so we are squeezing this in, in the midst of a busy day for both of us. So if we're a little distracted and like didn't prepare as much as usual, we're sorry. We did both read the book though, so that record remains unbroken. And we're making time for you. Before, like, after and before vacation. (laughs) (laughs) Alrighty, Um, so we loved it, right? Yes. Yeah, I love this book. I just really loved it. Like, I said this at the beginning. I'm sure I'll say it again. Just Emily Sullivan is a really good author. I'm really loving this series and what she's doing with it. She's taking things that I really like, like spies and uh, independent women and putting them together in really great ways. I'm just really liking it a lot. And the female friendships don't feel like set dressing to the romance, even though the romance is unquestionably both the A and B plot, which I think is like a real skill. (laughs) Yeah, it's her characters are just really good. I I think that's one of the biggest things that Lane and I are just really gravitate towards. It's really good characterization. Yes. And that just works here. Totally I agree. I love a banana bonkers plot as much as anyone, but I want to feel like the characters are actually experiencing it, right? No, and I think I also like characters who are a little more mature, and that's not to say older specifically, and it's not to say, like, cynical. It's just I, I like characters who have, like, kind of lived one life and are now questioning it and are kind of very deliberately making choices to make themselves happier moving forward. 
Yeah. I think you rarely see women with that much agency in romance novels just because of historical accuracy. And even the guys, I think it, maybe it's a shift in tone within the industry as a whole, but I feel like the little bit jaded because of reality dude is a little bit sexier right now. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's, that's what I think she's doing that's new and special with these specific spies is that not only are they spies, and I mean, that's kind of, that's one of my favorite things to read about. They're spies who are like questioning their role in empire building and what does that mean? In this book specifically, there's a whole section that's way more depressing than you usually read in a romance novel about like the future of politics in Germany at the time. And I was like, holy shit, you know? The Happily Ever After for the previous book, so spoiler for um, for that book, The Rebel and the Rake. So spoiler for that book, um, The Happily Ever After was he went off to be an ambassador in Germany and she went with him. In this book, they visit because uh, Sylvia is the best friend of Georgiana and Rafe is the best friend of Henry. So they meet up to have like dinner party or whatever. And Rafe is like, yeah, shit is going down in Germany. No one's taking my advice. I think I'm going to have to quit and like get out of politics because this is like shit's going to happen. And I was like, oh, my God, this it's so it just doesn't happen in a romance novel, you know? Well, and even functionally, the problematic, exploitative, abusive ex, however you read it in whatever terminology you see fit in um, what's his fuck? Captain Henry Harris's life yeah. is her majesty's service. Mm-hmm. Like, it has been there to pull him back in every time he's fallen. They have lured him with promises, gotten him to give in to things he didn't want. Mm-hmm. And remain sort of knocking at his door with expectations of him, even though they've promised that they'll go away if he does this one thing for them. Like, his relationship with, like, I think you're right, Rafe's got the, like, geopolitical controversy in his head. Yeah. Henry's much more, like, legitimately my relationship with this job is toxic. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's a really, I feel like this is a new view of the historical spy that we have not seen in the past. And I'm really, really liking it. I just really enjoyed it. I was going to say eating it up with a spoon. I mean, yeah, that's, <laughs> I think I actually wrote that somewhere. I wrote, oh God, no, we're I did. I said, she, I said, Emily Sullivan can write whatever at this point and I will eat it up. I wrote that. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> so it's true. Okay. This is a little bit of a trope. I do still enjoy reading about it. Uh, Georgiana inherited these factories after her husband's death. And now, of course, she's the ethical capitalist owner of the factories. (laughs) Yeah, but it's also, it's a mix of the ethical factory owner and the woman's rights activist. Yes. Which Mm -hmm. I found so nicely in keeping with Sylvia's past. Like, yes, these, like, it's, not only is it does it make a little more sense to me that a woman who had just been in an incredibly abusive marriage is choosing to put women who have been abused front and center in her activism, but it also makes me understand why Georgiana and Sylvia are friends. Yes. 
when, you know, the glimpses you've got of her in the last book were much more of just like someone sympathetic to Georgiana and kind of existing, I mean, uh, to Sylvia and sort of existing in the background, you now, now see like their ideals matching. Yes. It's just, I mean, it's just really well done. The characters are just, their relationships with each other, not, again, not just between the romantic couple, but between the friend group and just just the wider everything, which is very believable. I really, really liked it. Yep. Um, so the romantic arc of this book is very straightforward and tropey, but that is not to be a criticism in any way. I fucking loved it. Mm-hmm. Um, they, you know, met back in the day, were absolutely head over heels in love with each other, even though for various reasons, they were unacceptable partners based on what they were seeking. Mm-hmm. They have harbored this grudge against each other, her through this horrific marriage, which ended in the previous book. Her husband died in the previous book. And him in, as we discussed, this sort of really problematic relationship with serving queen and country. Mm -hmm. And her brother hires him to investigate these threats against her. And he's originally like, I'm not going to fucking do it. Like, Mm -hmm. she's too triggering. My past is too much. But then she shows up to tell him not to do it. And he's like, fuck you. (laughs) He's like, don't tell me what to do. (laughs) And there are just so many extremely charged moments. And one of the things I also love that Emily Sullivan did so well um, is that she sort of talks about the perception that people will have of them. And it's not super relevant to the plot, but I actually found it to be a really meaningful contribution because even before they were like choosing to like or trust each other, they were sort of willing to be associated with each other in public. It was like that was the beginning of the thaw. Right. Um, And then they have to run off to Monte Carlo together and um, they have a lot of sex in sexy places on the beach. (laughs) Yeah. Like with the doors open in the carriage um 10 out of 10 no notes yeah i okay i feel like this is now what i have to do with every romance novel is look at the family dynamics (laughs) and i will say one of the things i thought was really interesting about this one was that georgiana has a really good relationship with her younger brother they get along they like all of her siblings really all of her siblings but she's the oldest one she's sacrificed to save the family. And she's sort of taken on that role of caregiver or savior, not quite martyr complex, but I thought it was a really nice way to bring that in with Henry being like, look, you don't have to be the person who saves your family all the time. I, I liked it. I did too. And I think as an oldest sibling, maybe I related a little, but um, what I, the other thing I liked with that dialogue, her siblings didn't know. Right. Exactly. Her siblings are all very sympathetic. Yes, sometimes they're overbearing, but in a way that was just like, yes, the way siblings are, who like each other. Her father's the one who forced her into this marriage to save the family. And she has not only kept quiet about just how bad her marriage was, mm-hmm. but kept quiet about the fact that she did it to save everyone. Yep. And that leads me into my one criticism of the book. Okay. So they both have a lot of misapprehension and misunderstanding about what went down in the past, about 
the way they'd lived their lives in the intervening years. Like not only does he think she willingly left, like screwed him over to be with her husband. She thinks he thinks they had a love match. Yeah. And that she's like profoundly in mourning and that she was just like leading him on. And she thinks he did this really heroic thing in Turkey and that he's this like just this humble, shy guy. Right. When there's way more to what went down in Turkey um, and she thinks he was just a fortune hunter and, you know, obviously he wasn't where she was concerned. Anyway, they never articulate that those impressions are false to one another. Right. She says it to her brother who tells him. Rafe tells Sylvia a lot about Henry's past. And that was just my one thing is they spent a lot of time fucking and I appreciated that. Don't get me wrong. But I do think the confessions of love would have been more meaningful if they weren't, I just found out from someone else that you really do care about me and now I might lose you. (laughs) Like I wanted there to be a little bit more like we had grown to like worked through our issues. They didn't, they fucked through their issues and then the problems magically got solved. I I was not bothered by that at all. It really didn't bother me that much. It's just the one thing that like, if like if I could, I just wish people always got, took the mantle of like their own shit in romance novels. Yeah. I, I think for me, because of the characters that they are and how it worked, that's why it worked for me. Yeah. I feel like it was in keeping with their characters. I have a couple of pet peeves. They're the pettiest stupidest things in the world I'm right I mean I'm sorry (laughs) one of them okay so there were two things that happened one I think is a little more uh serious than the other so the one thing I would have changed like I'm not kidding if I could only change one thing in this book they uh so as Lane said they go from England to Monte Carlo and the way they do that is they have a channel crossing so they take a boat and this boat crossing is described in great detail and it's you know, part of their rapprochement, you know, she's very seasick and he helps her out and it's like so sweet. And then they get off the boat and then the next scene, they're getting out of a carriage in Monte Carlo. Mm. And I was like, no, you can't take a carriage from Calais to Monte Carlo. Like you can't do that. And later in the text, it is explained that they took a train ride and then a carriage from the train station. But just for me, I was, I was very taken out of the text. I was like, what just happened here? That was really weird to me. It's like a whole 24 hours that's described in great detail. And then this whole train journey is glossed over completely. Interesting. I think romance novels do that all the time. Maybe. This this one, it really jarred me for some reason. Because, like, you know, you'll find out in London they're going to a house party in three days. And the next scene will be them all arriving at the house party. That's fine. They didn't mention the train until after. Fair. So, like, literally if all they'd said was, you know, following a two-day train trip, they alighted from the carriage, you would have been fine. Okay. If they were getting out of the carriage and she had said, how's your leg? She knew that so much traveling in a train and a carriage would, would uh, okay, whatever. Okay, so you're not saying you wanted, like, equal no. amounts of detail about the whole voyage. No. Got it. Noted. I don't need equal amounts. No, absolutely not. I just needed... I just needed some acknowledgement that they didn't take a carriage from the boat to the casino. 
I mean, obviously, it did not bother me, but okay. I told you it was the pettiest thing. Okay, the other thing, and again, if I were to choose to change something about this book, this is not the thing I would choose to change. I would have chosen to add the other thing. But the one thing, the other thing that bothered me is they go out, and they're, she goes out to have breakfast. She goes out to a cafe in Monte Carlo. That's in France, FYI, guys. I mean, yes, it's in Monaco, but it's France. Okay. And she orders a croissant, and she gets the croissant, and then she puts butter and jam on the croissant. Not very, yeah. You don't do that. I, I could believe that she would do that. Like, I right. know people who do that, but she would have had to be like, hey, can you please bring me some butter and jam to go with my croissant? The only note I have there is that this hotel catered to English tourists. She was the guest of a very affluent English woman at the hotel. Like, it is possible that that is more accurate for the time period as to how, like, a high-level English guest who lived in the hotel Maybe. would have been treated. Like, you don't have to order that stuff when you're it, a rich resident. It was just another thing that, again, jarred me. Just, just, th- just that much. Yeah. And again... I told you these were the pettiest, stupidest things in the world, okay? They are. But if you guys ever are wondering, like, you go to France and you get a croissant, don't put butter or jam on it. Like, it's literally made with butter. That's the only thing that goes into it. Like, there are no eggs. There's no water. There's no milk. The the fat and the liquid that make the croissant is butter. It's all butter. And that's why they taste so good. But it also means you don't have to put more butter on. I sometimes put more butter on. <sighs> Deal with it. Just don't. <laughs> okay. <laughs> other content warnings. <laughs> okay. She had, her husband was abusive in many ways. Um, and it's depicted very well. I think that stands on its own. Yep. Yeah. And then she, Part of the reason that he is abusive, although I think he would have been an abusive husband regardless, is that she suffers from infertility. Which, I want to be clear, it's not like she has a diagnosis. No. This is, I think what's more accurate to say, just because we don't actually know, is her first marriage did not result in any children. No, it didn't. Whether he had an issue, she had an issue, or like, their rare fuckings were only at the wrong time. Who knows? Who knows? Uh, any other content warnings? It's there's some blood and violence. Yeah. By stuff. No, I mean, you're usually the one. So if you don't mention it, I assume it's not high enough to be worth a mention. No. Um, I I'm guess... like six people's limbs got chopped off, and you describe the sinew, and I'm like, that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> right. No, I mean, there's a little. Yeah, there's a little bit of violence in blood, but no, it's nothing. Nothing too. Um, ridiculous mm. or intense. Uh, he does suffer from PTSD. Yep. But that's just, that's really just a content note. Like, I don't think it's handled poorly or it's stigmatizing or anything like that. Yep. Okay, sexiness. Oh my God. <laughs> this is so good. We're the first two this good on this front. I mean, yes. Remember the second one in the chair? Yes. Like, this was insanely hot. <laughs> yes. 
These, so, all three books are hot. All three books are very, very hot. But this book is also, this book is super hot. So one, you have them like trying to shy away from each other. And like, obviously they need to get out of that old environment to shake up their connection. This is not true. There's plot reasons, but in my head. And they get to Monte Carlo, like 35, 40% in. Mm -hmm. So it's not like you're waiting a while. Mm -mm. And from the second they arrive, it's like a lot. It's a lot. I mean, there's an, there's like an elevator kiss. That's like so much hotter than like 52 degree. Was it hotter as hot or less hot than, um, you know what I'm talking about? It's the, yes, yeah, the Sally Thorne book that everyone knows. The Hating Game. The Hating Game? Yeah. Okay. Elevator Kiss. The Hating Game's Elevator Kiss was longer. Yeah. Because this Elevator Kiss did lead into the bedroom. It did. So they're very different. Like the Haiti Games elevator kiss needs to be so sexy to get you through like 15% of the book. Yeah. And it this is only needed discreet. to be, yeah. Yes. This only needed to be so sexy to get you to turn the page. Mm -hmm. So I, they're very different. If, if just in a vacuum was the sexiest elevator kiss I've ever read, I think I still lean Hating Game just because it's so decadent. Yeah. But this one is up there, no question. Ooh, and if one. I turn the page. <laughs> I wasn't like, I'll cut the book down now. <laughs> I was like, good, this is going somewhere. Oh my God. Okay. Also, this carriage ride. There's a carriage ride hookup, which is amazing. And one of the things I love about it is it's like a shuttle bus carriage ride. It's like <laughs> yes. a carriage ride. You know, like when you go to Las Vegas and there's a shuttle bus that takes you for like from one hotel to the other. That's what this carriage ride is. And yeah. they're like, yeah, we know we have time. It's like a golf cart that takes you to the beach at the Riviera from your hotel. That's perfect. That's right. <laughs> and then they make excellent use of a gigantic hotel bathtub. Oh, my God. Yeah. And, which was inspired. And the hotel bed frame, too. Yep. Yeah. And then basically they're in Monte Carlo fucking until like the 85% mark. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I felt like the distribution was good. It wasn't just like they're in Monte Carlo for 15% and that was all really hot. But then like you got to get through the rest of the book. It's most of the book. It's, it's most of the book. And I mean, it's just, you know, relationship building. <laughs> it was really fun reading this on the beach laying next to all of my family members. <laughs> I mean, I can understand that. <laughs> I was just like, glad this is on a Kindle. <laughs> Flip the page. All right. So thank you guys so much. TLDR, TLDL, TLDL, too long, didn't listen. <laughs> Read this book. It's really good. Yeah, we, <laughs> we love the shit out of it. Yeah, it's awesome. I cannot wait to see what Emily Sullivan writes next. I think she's done with this series which makes me a little sad, but I'm sure that whatever she writes next is going to be amazing because I love her now forever. Yeah, sign me up. Emily, don't stop writing. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for listening. Bye-bye.